0: This is the South Bend Beat Podcast, presented by Alpha Dog Agency. City, yeah. on, on this week on South Bend Beat, we spoke with Lucas Miles. Uh, Lucas, pretty busy man. He's got a lot going on. He's a writer, a speaker, a futurist, life coach, film producer. Uh, he's also the senior pastor at Influence Church in Granger. Um,. And we kind of touched on all these topics. Uh, we talked about his books. He has a feature film coming out that we talked about. He's a podcast host where he's got to interview some really cool people. Um, so we talked about film in general, religion, politics, kind of got into everything. Uh, this episode's a little bit longer. Uh, just It was a lot of fun. We had a lot to talk about. So enjoy this week with Lucas Miles. Lucas, thanks for coming by today. Hey, it's good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to good to be at the office
1: here, and uh, I've, I've stopped in here one time, but yeah. uh, thanks for having me over.
0: Now, I've, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. You kind of uh, touch on a lot of different different um, industries, businesses, topics. You're a busy man. You got a lot going on. I've cloned myself in my basement <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> successfully. There's three of me. Yeah, no, it, you know, it's I,
1: I wear definitely a couple different hats, but I really try to. For my sanity, I try to think about the fact that I only have one job, and that is to really influence influencers, you know, or produce great content that's going to impact the world. And I just do that in a lot of different arenas.
0: So I want to start with, um, I mean, when if you're listening to this, you go read a bio, you'll probably see like five or six things that you're kind of tagged as or titled as. Let's start with author. Okay. Um, So that's a big one talk to us about uh, your writing
1: so I got a couple uh, a couple projects that are out there um, there my biggest book is called good God it's uh, the one we want to believe in but are in infra- but are afraid to embrace uh, that was released in 2016 it was a national release kind of brick and mortar bar- uh, Barnes and Noble nationwide. And that really opened up a ton of doors for me. And so um, it's probably a great place to start from that standpoint Uh, because of just some of the media attention that the book got. I mean, I was on the blaze. I did op-eds for places like Fox and, and um, relevant magazine and, you know, Patheos and all these other platforms that are out there. Um, I think when the first, in the first 45 days, the book came out, I did 60 media junkets in, you know, in that time period. And so It was a whirlwind in 45 days, 60 (laughs) outlets. So, you know, there's some days we're doing multiple things. And uh, I actually, um, uh, one of the gals at uh, the Doubletree down here, I had a full day of radio interviews. And so I checked into like the big suite at the top floor of the Doubletree. They just like it was like a Tuesday. They had nothing (laughs) going on. They're like, just have it all day. And so I went up there and just paced around overlooking the city doing radio interviews the whole day on the book. And, and that was, I'm just so thankful for that project. It's, it's really probably what I'm most known for. And, uh, at, at least outside of this community. And, um, and so if people haven't read it, it's available just about anywhere, then get it from, uh, lucasmiles.org or, uh, Amazon, et cetera.
0: Love it. Moving on. Yes. Because, uh, that kind of goes into the next part. Let's start with uh, what do you want to do next? You want to talk podcasts, or you want to talk uh, your church? Um, so yeah, I mean the, they're kind of connected for me in a lot of ways. I mean, really,
1: after the release of the book, um, I specifically did a uh, an interview on the Blaze. It was a radio interview on the Blaze, and um, which you know people aren't familiar. There's Glenn Beck's outlet, and so um, I was on with one of their guys, and and uh, that that interview in particular just kind of went viral uh, on online a little bit, and. Um, the guy, um, the guy who hosted the interview said, Hey, like we got to do something with this. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And I was like, well, I've kind of toyed with the idea, you know, and this is 2020 early 2016. I was like, but I just, you know, I haven't fully pulled the trigger and I don't know if I want to, you know, I don't know if I have the platform yet to fully just release on my own. I'd love to find a home for it. And so he was working on something and, and had just jumped over to this new platform called FaithWire, and FaithWire is a national, uh, news website. Um, they are. They probably get a couple million hits, you know, a month on their their homepage. Um, and so I now fast forward. Have I'm in year like two and a half of hosting a show on FaithWire. It's called the Lucas Miles Show. So I'm I'm used to being in the other seat in this uh, mm-hmm. interview process. So this is kind of fun, and. The uh, I've done over 100 episodes uh, and, you know, really some of the biggest names in, uh, you know, what I would call kind of positive or faith media. Um, A lot of crossover guests, people like Mario Lopez, uh, Candace Cameron Bure, Kathy Lee Gifford, Jim Caviezel, you know, a lot of Hollywood names that people would recognize. Sean Hannity has been on the show, you know, kind of every now and then we'll venture into politics, Kevin Sorbo. And so, um, you know, my target is really uh, interviewing people. That um, are kind of some mainstream names that are are doing projects that that people are familiar with, but their faith has played a role in them getting to where they're at. And so it's kind of that intersection of faith and culture, and that's just been an incredible process. I mean, it just just being able to spend time, you know, with people of this caliber and be able to sit with them and talk and do you know these kind of interviews. It's just opened up so many doors for us.
0: Do a couple of interviews stand out as favorites?
1: Yeah, you know, I was just looking at one uh, actually earlier today, I interviewed Dr. Alveda King, Martin mm-hmm. Luther King uh, Jr.'s niece. Um, you know, she's been very outspoken in support of Trump recently, um, uh, was just at the National Prayer Breakfast, which I was at in D.C. this past week. Um, that was a really cool one. It just felt historic, you know, talking with somebody who's who's been involved in civil rights movement for that long and just kind of the work that she's done for uh, pro-life community and these things. That was pretty powerful. Um, uh, Candace Cameron Barre was a really fun one. I had her on a couple, about, I think it was my first year, so probably about a year and a half ago. I'm actually interviewing her again at the end of this month at Biola with a live student audience for the show. Um, and then uh, let's see here. You know, one of my favorite um, interviews that I did is actually with a guy named Edgar Struble. And Edgar has been the director of music for the American Music Awards, the Country Music Awards for years. He's played with everybody from Dolly Parton, Katy Perry, you know, et cetera. Uh, I've had Katy Perry's parents on before uh, as well. The um, and Edgar just has all sorts of stories, but he also tells his own story about overcoming addiction and just kind of his. He was Kenny Rogers' keyboard player. I mean, he just he's an industry like legend that not a lot of people know his name, but they know his work. And, um, that was a fun one because he and I are really good friends and it was, it was like an hour and a half long. I mean, so it's an early one, but yeah, every, every one is so unique. It's just, it's hard to have too many favorites.
0: Now, have you seen, um, I guess, fans of your books or some of your readership eyeballs, have they transitioned over to podcasts or do you think you started with a fresh audience? Uh, I mean, both.
1: I mean, we've certainly people that are fans of the book, I think are starting to find the podcast, uh, and listen to that. Um, and, and, but maybe even more so the other way, I think fans of the podcast are now starting to find the book mm-hmm. and, uh, that's the nice thing about doing your own show, is You kind of control the advertising and everything that's yeah. on there. And so, you know, it's certainly been a great channel for getting more word out about the book, um, and some of the other products that we have that are going on. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I tell people all the time, you know, we, we fortunately have a nice, um, listening base, but I always say like, if nobody ever listened to the show, it's still worth me doing because of the incredible guests that I've been able to have on. Um, I went out to uh, um, uh, uh, it was CBS Studios where uh, Tim Allen's new show Last Man Standing mm-hmm. is filming, um, and I have a, a friendship with uh, uh, the kid who plays Tim Allen's grandson. His name's Jet uh, Jergensmeyer, and I was actually just texting with him here this week. But the um, you know this is a like twelve year old twelve year old kid who is just like blown up in Hollywood. (laughs) He's playing across from 10 Island on a major, you know, network show. And, you know, I'm hearing his story, and then I'm going and I'm hearing, you know, I had a guy, Dr. Dean Radke, who's, you know, in his 70s, was um, served under John McCain Sr., was in the Bay of Pigs. You know, I mean, just so you get this contrast of all these different backgrounds and stories that come out of it, and it's worth every second of it, no matter if it's only me me listening right, at yeah. the end of the day.
0: So before we get into the part that uh, I really want to dive into is more of the film side, uh, a quick question is, with just what we've heard so far, not even talking about Miles Media or the film yeah. side— How do you do that and then also keep a church running? Yeah,
1: so we uh, I've been pastoring a church. My wife and I started about 15 years ago, um, and it it started under the name Oasis uh, Granger, so some people might know us as that originally. And then uh, about two years ago, we went through a brand change, still the same team, same staff, just kind of a refresh, and the new name is called Influence Church. So it's influence without the I, so just N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E. And, you know... It, I get that I get that question a lot, and I actually really enjoy that question because on paper none of this works. Uh, you know, you can't have five jobs and do them well. And uh, but I feel like through a combination of, you know, first of all, my wife is like fully on board with everything. I mean, so we're really partners and teammates in what we do. Um, the we have a great team that we've developed around us. And I there's a quote that I love. Um, and it's it's uh, uh, working alone has its benefits, but survival isn't one of them. And I find that so many people are working alone and just it's 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 hard. And we've always opted for, you know, even if it means that we got to pay ourselves less or whatever, we need a bigger team. And so, um, you know, I, I try to just keep focused on the goals, moving things one step at a time and just staying in my lane, keeping diligent you know with it. And uh, and then leveraging, you know, people that are excited about the same thing, going in the same direction and find ways to, to link up with them to, to get stuff done. So um, it's it, it's somewhat of a science in my head, but, you know, it probably seems very random from the outside looking in all the things that we're doing. But they, there's a lot of interconnectedness and, you know, we're do, the things we talked about 10 years ago, we're doing today and it's just you know it just takes time you know when you're when you're getting started i mean i didn't i didn't get you know i'm not a trust fund kid i didn't get a bunch of money thrown at me like we've had to really you know dive in and little by little you know grow this thing to get to where we are and now to be able to run with the level of influencers that we run with and you know work with the type of companies that we do in this community and the church is just a great home base for all of that you know it's a place to really center myself and uh, where we get to really try out a lot of the the thoughts and thinking and and things that we're rolling out, you know, and I think our church has really gotten behind the idea that you know I'm not just kind of the typical local pastor. You'll you'll almost never find me at the church office, mm-hmm. um, but I think people that come in and they like the idea that their pastor is is actually trying to impact and change the world rather than just teach a message on a Mm -hmm. Sunday morning, which I do that as well. I think that that's very exciting for a lot of people we have there.
0: Now. So do you have like a personal assistant or anything? Because I imagine your, your bedroom wall is like Claire Danes (laughs) and Homeland with just pins and thread going everywhere. (laughs) I love that show so much.
1: Um, The, yeah, you know um, we definitely have some war. When I was, when I was working on good God, my wife um, helped uh, edit that with me and, Man, we literally our dining room looked like that. It was all on the wall. So you nailed that for sure. There, the um, you know, we've had a couple different people on our team. So we have an assistant right now that my wife and I are both um, uh, both working with, and she kind of crosses over and kind of follows us on whatever we're doing. You know, so she's not just employed by the church or just employed by the film company. And then within each entity, we have some other support staff that help with that. Um, and then I have you know like. When we do things like uh, release a book or release a film, I have kind of go to publicists and and other, you know, um, you know, kind of PR type staff that we bring on for, you know, a couple months to sort of support those efforts. And then, you know, they're 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 you know, they can move on to the next project and we don't have to keep them on payroll that whole yeah. time. So, yeah, there's there's a nice infrastructure. And, you know, between the two entities, you know, we got um, I don't know, we probably have at any given time, you know, 12 to 20 people you know working for us.
0: Now let's transition what I've been excited to talk to you about. Uh, let's talk film, movies. Yeah. Uh, first up, you do have a feature film coming out soon. Correct?
1: Yeah, we've uh, this is our third um, nationally released feature. Um, it's called the uh, the Penitent Thief, and it is a it's really sort of a fictionalized backstory um about the two thieves on the cross and how they might have ended up there and so anytime it crosses over into kind of the the biblical side of that story we tried to be really true to the account it's based on a book called the tale of the penitent thief that actually our executive producer wrote um uh, his name is don willis he was with um, walmart for probably 30 years as an executive and uh, down in bentonville and uh Uh, He had this book that he wrote, just kind of, I don't know if he, you know, I can't remember if he dreamed it up or how that came together, but just imagining, you know, how did these two guys get to the cross that day? We know how Jesus got there. How did they get there? And, you know, it's, it's interesting. People expect that um, because of my background as a pastor, that everything we do is faith films. This is actually the first faith film that we've done. So the first two are just kind of family, you know, oriented. We did a film called Rodeo Girl with Kevin Sorbo that was on Netflix for about three years. Uh, if you got a, you know, if your listeners have a twelve-year-old girl and that who likes horses, it's a great movie, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, a nice probably Friday night family uh, popcorn on the couch sort of movie. Um, and then we actually filmed that was filmed up in Grand Rapids. We filmed another film called Crowning Jewels. Uh, And that's got Christy Swanson, who was the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Kevin Farley, Chris Farley's brother, um, and uh, a few Disney Nickelodeon uh, kids on that as well. And uh, that was shot here in Michigan. We had 30 locations around the area. The film takes place in Michigan, and then it's a road trip all the way to Boston. And we filmed all that here. We shot St. Mary's as uh, Harvard, and you know, uh, a brick brick university building kind of yeah. looks like a brick university building. And so, um, you know, through movie magic, we were able to put all that together. So that's a really fun one. But yeah, the Penitent Thief it's it's kind of a gritty um, faith film that that uh, really about this kind of tragic story of these two brothers that uh, have a lot of um, uh, sort of ironic and serendipitous sort of experiences in their life. A lot of tragedy. And it ends with this tragedy of of both of these brothers going to the cross, and and throughout the film, you're, it kind of leaves you, you know, wondering which one's going to be the penitent thief, which one's which one's going to be the other one. And uh, and uh, it, we filmed we filmed that down. We spent uh, probably uh, a couple weeks in Arkansas filming at a place called the Great Passion Play. There they have a full like Jerusalem set. I mean, pretty incredible. And then we shot also at Capernaum Village in um, outside of Dallas, Texas. And uh, another, another really nice set. Uh, the Chosen was just shot down there as well, which has been the largest crowdfunded project of all time ever. And then we spent a couple days in L.A. Uh, shooting on a back lot. And so uh, it's a fun project. Uh, we're going to do some sort of premiere in the area, uh, but that's our newest one coming out. we got a couple others we're working on, a Christmas film, a few other things we might uh, we might get out here eventually, but uh, that's at least next one coming down the pipeline.
0: So were the first two original screenplays?
1: Yeah, the first two were original Um the uh, now I I didn't write I I didn't write either of them I did so make so yeah.
0: did you direct the other one yeah uh, yeah so so I, from being director and producer side what's the difference on original screenplay versus you know adapting a book yeah so on this third one yeah adapting a book is harder yeah <laughs> it it, yeah? it really is
1: you would think like you already have the storyline yeah but there you know as we got into and honestly like the book the tale of the, the thief I recommend you know grabbing that it's mm-hmm. it is he was able to do things in the book with some of the some of the building of the story the drama the guessing the mystery of it that we struggled capturing the same way on film and so we had to adapt aspects of it to Mm -hmm. work better for film because there's things that your imagination can do that's really hard to show on screen especially at you know the budget level that we're at and you know i mean these are still i mean these are still you know uh significant budget projects i mean this film was almost half a million dollars And, uh, you know, full cast, full crew, everything else that goes with that. Uh, We might get some theatrical on it, but it'll be a VOD and retail, you know, Walmart nationwide type of uh, release is what we're expecting. And but, you know, when you have something that's made as a screenplay, I think that a good writer, especially one that's worked with a producer, they're really wearing that hat of how is this going to work on camera. And so um, I, I mean, I enjoyed the challenge of shooting The Penitent Thief, but it was certainly harder than some of the other projects we did especially the other two projects were modern day you know there wasn't you know you know girl wears a flannel shirt we didn't have to think about costumes very yeah. much you know wardrobe but uh for this one there was way more that went into it and and trying to make sure that armor was authentic and and you know some of the uh some of the, everything was period appropriate as much as we could and you know that's uh that's a lot to think about for sure
0: now i want to talk budgets a little bit yeah um with the Oscars just finishing up, I was looking at some of the movies, and when you say $500,000, that's a pretty healthy budget. One of my favorite movies from the last year that was a fringe Oscar nomination, but I didn't get it, would have been Peanut Butter Falcon. I don't know yeah. if you heard of that.
1: I, it's on my watch list. It's, I've watched the trailer like five times, so, it's so I need very, to pull the trigger. It
0: was very good, um, and I saw the budget was $3 million. Yep. How much of that $3 million do you think is tied up into Shia LaBeouf and like Dakota Johnson?
1: You know, it's hard to say. I mean, a, an actor on a project like that. I mean, so is that you know, what's
0: considered a passion project? Probably. Or, I mean, he's still trying to build himself. I guess back up.
1: Yeah, to some degree. I mean, I think that that's that's fair. He's had some. He's had some. You know, ups and downs in the press and everything mm-hmm. else. You know, uh, over the years, I think that. You know, and I think he's a really underrated actor. You know, he was, I, he's he, one of my favorites. He was he's phenomenal in Fury. You know, I thought that was a great film, and he he's explored some really interesting topics um and you know my general philosophy is i'm impressed anytime that somebody can finish a movie because it's so hard and it's so big and so like we're before i started making films you watch a movie you're like oh that was terrible and and now i'm thinking like that's terrible but i wonder how bad it was before they actually put time into it and how like how much better they made it through like the team and so You know, it's um, something like uh, for, you know, something like a budget level, like where we're at, or maybe uh, that, I mean, SAG, the Actors Union, uh, so uh, Screen Actors Guild, it has, they have certain um, budget tiers for projects based upon how much the overall budget is that will create a scale pay for a given actor. If they're a union actor so our films because the budget level we're at we're able to use union and non-union talent it's really hard to shoot a union movie in south bend because there's not a lot of union talent that's in south bend so we can kind of pull in a couple union names pay the union dues for that and we can also use this hybrid of local talent as well and it's a great way to kind of keep the budget under control uh you start getting up to higher levels you have to pay extras you have to pay every you know mm-hmm. so you have a stadium full of people and it's a union a big union budget everybody's making 27 bucks or something that day you know and, um, uh, you know, characters like that, you know, I think a lot of times, um, you know, I mean, it could be 10% of the budget, it could be 20% of the budget, you know, it just depends on how long they're on the set, you know, how fast they were able to shoot them out, if they could shoot them out in three days, or if they needed to be there the full month. And so it's kind of based upon a day rate, typically, you know, for a lot of these guys, um, uh, when they're shooting,
0: because so, because I was thinking of that, and you said $500,000, like for your budget, I was like, that's a pretty healthy budget. And I was thinking of peanut butter falcon you know outside of kind of the two headlining yeah. stars maybe they were in the yeah in the same range and have you heard of honey boy his other movie which Released on uh, Amazon Prime. I know the title, but I haven't seen it yet. So it was based on kind of his upgra- upbringing, a okay. child star, and his relationship with his father. And I think that one was at like 3 or $4 million yeah. budget, but they shot it in 17 days.
1: Oh, wow. Is that really fast? It is fast. I mean, I would say the typical feature—I uh, mean, I've seen guys—I mean, I've seen—there's examples of people shooting in ridiculously fast time, but I would say typically— you know, on the low end, you might have somebody 15 to 17 days. A lot of times, you know, and we're talking at this, you know, kind of modest budget level, you know, Marvel's taken forever. Yeah. Greatest Showman or something like that. There's a lot of work and, you know, rehearsals and everything that's going into those things. But, if you know, if there's not significant stunts and it's it's mostly kind of, you know, comedy or drama, you know, sort of characters – um, uh, I think that, you know, somewhere between 18 and 25, 26 days is, is fairly typical. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're looking at the, but you know, the budget, when you look at that, So my
0: days of watching entourage told me that <laughs> they're like every day we're out here, the, yeah. the bankroll is growing. You know, I, I shot,
1: um, I, sh- and I gotta be careful here because I'm in South Bend recording this. I shot a location in South Bend and, um, we, We had – it was kind of a bigger venue. We were out there filming. The owner of the location um, ends up getting drunk while we're filming. Okay? (laughs) Now, um, I'll tell you afterwards where this was. Okay. (laughs) But he decides halfway through the day that he doesn't want us filming there anymore. And so he shows up on this golf cart totally blitzed, and this is a pretty big property, and um, basically tells us we have to leave and you know i've already shot half the day so i mean i'm i'm 4 or 5000 dollars in that day and if i leave and i can't finish the rest at that location i have to redo all that and i've lost a whole day of not only work and footage but money mm-hmm. you know and so i mean if we lost a day on that film so on crowning jewels we would have lost 8 grand a day you know and so um i you know we tried to negotiate with him he ends up strong arming me for of um, another two grand, you know, and we'd had, we had given him like 500 bucks, which he agreed to when he was sober. So we pay another $2,000 just to stay there. Cause if we didn't, you know, he would have, yeah, you worth know, it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, it was, he was a large drunk man in the <laughs> golf cart. And so we did, we did what we had to do, you know, and it was total. And I, I probably should have came out in the press or something with it. Cause this is a, this is a well-known, you know, very public, uh, venue, but um it's we just had to do it we had to deal with it you know and so you know you have all sorts of crazy stories like that thankfully that's not the norm you know all of most the majority of our locations you know in fact that's the only kind of horror story i can think of you know, shooting this area was just really wonderful. We shot some in Elkhart, some in South Bend for the movie. But, yeah, it's time is money, you know, for sure. I mean, it's like anything else, and it doesn't matter if you're doing manufacturing or you're shooting footage, you're making something, and you got to get so far in that day in order to stay on budget.
0: Clint Eastwood's pretty notorious for one one take, isn't
1: he? I have tried to... <laughs> Uh, I, I joke about that a lot. I'm like, we're just gonna clean this with this yeah. thing. And you know, when you start getting behind, so as a director, I pride myself. Like, I'm kind of a mixture of left brain, right brain. I mean, there are there's certainly better artistic directors out there than me. That um, you know, they just they're just so like they're so lost in the story. They're gonna go way over budget, but they're gonna get some really great shots. Mm-hmm. I'm the director that goes you know what, I'm going to get you your story. It's going to be good, and we're going to be on time, and it's going to be on budget. And so I like actually partnering with a really artistic director of photography to kind of push me creatively in that, so that we kind of become a good tag team in there, because it keeps me. I keep us on time. I work well with the actors. I think that's really where I, where a strong suit is, is developing that rapport with the actors. Uh, you know, I have a little bit of acting background myself, and so I'm able to kind of draw from that, and then you know, being able to craft that from there. But um, you know, it's it's a uh, it's always a challenge between that left brain, right brain, like the art of it and the money of it. How do we get this done? So we've had plenty of times where we're going, okay, like. We just have to, you know, you're watching your monitors. I think we got it. Let's move on, you know. And there's so many things you can do in post. I mean, obviously, the joke in the film world is we'll fix it in post, Mm -hmm. which is not always true. Sometimes you can't fix it in post, but you can do a lot in post. And so, um, you know, we try to, you know, typically the main shot that you get on a film uh, on any given scene is called the master shot. And you rarely use it in editing, but it's your safety backup. So it's a wide shot of the entire scene. And so you shoot the master a lot of times first. And so that way you have the scene. It's very, it feels very flat and distant because you don't have any close-ups of the characters. Um, but that's your backup. And so you, shoot, you make sure you have a good master. And if you have a good master, you can kind of rush some of the others if you're short on time. Um, and the nice thing about, you know, shooting... I mean, there's still a lot of movies that are being delivered in 1080, you know, and you, you know, you're a technical guy. You understand the aspects of this. I'm sure a lot of your audience does, too. So we're shooting, you know, before the big thing was shooting in 4K. Uh, Well, you know, if if we're going to deliver in 4K, we're now shooting in 6 to 8K. Mm -hmm. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to get two shots out of one. So I can take that master shot and then I can push in on it. And I can get a whole nother shot out of that by, you know, just kind of pushing in on the resolution and everything else. So you have to deliver a little bit lower, you know, in your resolution, but it's still it's still ten eighty or still four K. You know, obviously you're never going below those. And uh, you're getting a great product. So, uh, you know, we've had to get really creative in the past. And you think you have something and you were sure you had something. And you come back in the editing room and you're like, oh, man, you know. <laughs> so ha- those b- higher budget levels, what it allows them to do is it allows them to do things like dailies, where at the end of each day they're going back and they're watching the footage and they're doing a pre-edit on it. You know, on our sets, you know, a lot of times it's, I mean, you you try to get some of that. But, you know, that's kind of another budget level above, I think, you know, million, million five, you know, in order to really do that So when they're do doing that,
0: that, when they're doing that, will say they're doing a daily, will Tarantino, Mendez, Scorsese, will they be sitting in on these dailies or they leave it to other people?
1: I mean, I, I'm sure some of these guys have other people. There's probably others that are, are more control freaks about the work to make sure it's there. You know, I think that, um, uh, I think typically most engaged directors are going to want to see that, you know, so they're shooting throughout the day. Um, and so, you know, I mean, and, and on a film set it's typically 12 hour days or longer. So, you know, for us, it's 12 hours of shooting, and then you might be going back and watching, you know, two hours of dailies, mm-hmm. you know, to see what you have. And somebody's kind of editing this together as you go, if you have, you know, kind of the crew size to be able to do that. They're putting a rough edit together. And so, I mean, there's some films before they leave the lot, you know, at the end of 20 days, they have a rough cut of the movie together. And yeah. other projects, you know, it takes you another six months to, you know, cut something together just based upon budget. And, you know, you almost always need pickups. So you got to run back to locations. And, we got real fortunate with the with the penitent thief. We had very minimal pickups that we had to do. I actually shot. There's a, there's, you know, it's kind of a arbitrary, but there's a scene where um, there's this butcher and there's a thief that comes up and steals this money purse off his table. Well, we had this whole, you know, uh, steady cam chase follow down this alleyway and all these, you know, props and extras and everything else. But we missed the insert on his hand actually grabbing the change purse. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't get a good look at what happened. And so, you know, I got my little studio over here in Granger we, we set up on a sunny day. We recreated the table and it was just a super, you know, uh, zoomed in uh, punch, we would call it, of this meat, you know. Yeah. So I got a slab of meat from Martin's <laughs> throat and I just used, I mean, it's literally my hand grabbing the money bag off the table. And, you know, but you'll never know when you see that in the right. film, you know, it, it just blends in and it, you know, just becomes one of those things that, you know, you kind of, the crew knows about, but nobody else, you know, really hopefully notices it.
0: So are you good to nerd out for a couple minutes on uh, movies? Let's. It's very rare I get someone like you in the scene yeah. that I can actually talk to about it. Let's do it. Um, I don't know if you've had time to watch many of the uh, films that were nominated for an Oscar. I've seen for best some.
1: Picture. I'm a little behind because of my writing project that I'm working on right now. I've been kind of holed up, but I'll do my so best here. I
0: think you'll even know the answers without if, if you haven't seen them. So have you seen um, 1917? No. So. You'll know the answers to this. I know too. about it. So though. the whole time I'm watching, and this isn't a spoiler, they're very upfront about yeah. how they did it. They made it to look like it's one continuous yes. shot. Yeah. And I did end up watching some behind the scenes thing. I yeah. as I was watching, I mean, I had no idea. It's not my world. I assumed maybe it was drone footage. Yeah. But it was like huge, like cranes and yeah. such. How difficult would that have been to do?
1: Uh, extremely extremely yeah. I would say one of the movies that really pione- I mean there's certainly some older ones that pioneered that as well uh, one of the more recent ones that got a lot of attention for doing something similar with that but not through the whole film uh, was the Revenant with um, Leo uh, with Leo and so in the bear scene that scene is appears to be one continuous shot. Um, and they've just sort of stitched together these camera motions, and they're you know working on whip pans and everything else. Cause you in see order like to create like a that.
0: wipe behind a tree or something, yes. and then that's usually where. Yes. they Yeah, so okay. yeah, they're
1: wiping off of whether it's a tree or a you know you could do it on any sort of post or you know going you know tilting up and down with a table or something that kind of gives that feeling and. You know, it's a technique that's used a lot, but to really master it in a way that it feels truly continuous the way that it, you know, it, that it is in something like The Revenant or 1917 is, it, I mean, it's it's challenging. Now, uh, post, you know, it's not all done in camera. There's some of that post work. They're taking out certain objects and, you know, kind of blending things together. I also love the start of, um, that's one of my favorite openings on a film, um, uh, Baby Driver. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it, movie, yeah. it's, I describe that as a, the only action musical that exists, you know? And so, but the first opening sequence of him walking down the street, like they just did such a job, like pulling off of stuff and timing the, you know, the music and everything with the tempo. And you, as a viewer, you, you, even as a filmmaker, you almost forget where those edits are at and you kind of just see it as one full scene. And, you know, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Now here's what, here's what scares me a little bit about filmmaking is, um, uh, did you see a Gemini with Will Smith? No, I didn't. No. Nope. So in this film, you know, and hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler. I think it was in the previews. You know, there's there's kind of this second version of Will Smith, but it's a younger version of himself. So I'll, I was gonna get into this yeah. with the Irishman. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I I have seen that. Uh. And so, you know, it's um, it's scary because like the the younger version of Will Smith, it wasn't just Will Smith in like. You know, uh, uh, a suit or something, you know, that they had some little, you know, markers on his face and tracked everything, you know, it was they literally did a digital build of Will Smith, which what that means is, you know, if I'm an actor, I mean, and and unfortunately, that's not where my, you know, the focus of my career, but I, I worry about actors. You know, I mean, Bruce Willis can do every action movie now from now into eternity. You know, yeah. we don't need any more actors to some degree, if that's the way we start going. And I'm curious to see if we'll see any movies that bring back Marilyn Monroe, that bring back other Fast characters, and bringing back Paul Walker. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, perfect example. You know, and so in situations like that, or in Star Wars, with you know, we saw that with uh, you know the Princess Leia and and uh, you know for for Carrie Fisher. And so. Um, you know, it's it's it, obviously it's it's uh, it's a great way to honor somebody that's that's died during production or, or before film's been you know finished shooting or something like that. But if it becomes all of a sudden the new model, yeah. that that to me loses something of what Hollywood is, and I worry about that day. And uh, technology going so far that we forget about the just the the beauty of Tinseltown, you know, so to speak, and just the the silver screen.
0: So getting into The Irishman, that was a four-hour movie Scorsese did with his original trio, De Niro, Pacino, Pacino, and uh, Pesci. And those three at various times throughout the movie would be 40 years difference in age. And I watched one behind-the-scenes thing where they said they basically had to shoot with like three cameras at once to be able to do this. And it was a lot of work. The one issue I wanted to ask you about that I had, and a lot of people that watched it had, was like, you can make De Niro look like a 30-year-old man, but there was there's one scene, and this isn't a spoiler at all, but where he's just doing mafia stuff, yeah. and he's dragging a dude the sidewalk, and he has to like kind of curb-stomp him. You can tell it's a 70-year-old man <laughs> curb-stomping. What are they—I do- mean, are you just out of luck with that, or sh- should they probably have used a double? You could
1: have used a body double. You could have yeah. done some stuff like that. You know, it's interesting. I actually have a friend that was uh, involved with that film, and uh, his name's Gary, and um, Gary is, he? you know, he's been kind of in the Hollywood world, and, you know, and when I say Hollywood, I don't just mean the city anymore. It's Hollywood's a culture. It's an industry. It's, you know, you can be in New York and be in the Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, scene, and um, so uh, Gary has developed um, uh, he a, kind of a reputation of sort of being a posture coach and and uh, does a lot of you know he's you know been a yoga instructor in the past all these things so they actually Scorsese had him on the set to um, help the actors look younger through their body oh, motion that's interesting yeah and so Gary's developed this. Um, this pillow and I'll, I'll try to get you a link for the show notes or something for this but he's developed this pillow and it's basically you know kind of a um a tool that you would lay on and kind of stretch out you know whether at night or in the morning and um he he got uh, he got de niro to to lay down on this thing and you know and and, you know bob's just doing his bob thing you know and basically you know kind of finally gets him on this what's this going to do for me so and you know and and he got off and you know he's like you could see you can noticeably see the difference in him now you know it's not going to solve everything and it's not going to make a 70 year old you know 30 but um, they were using some really interesting tactics, just with the physicality of acting, you know, to try to loosen them up, limber them up, you know, get them to be able to have some more range of motion that they didn't typically have on a day-to-day basis. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting, fun fact on that film. But yeah, there's, you know, without going to doubles, you know, fully and or or you know, kind of total uh, uh, VFX, you know, it, it you 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 have what you have. Yeah.
0: So the other two I want to ask you about is basically just. They were all nominated for an Oscar. They were the four best movies I saw last year. Um, I don't really have anything to add on this. I'm just curious. Did you see Parasite? I did not. Very. I, I foreign language films usually for yeah. me are kind of a, a no go. Yeah. I just think it's hard to capture like the emotion or the the comedy, I guess, in foreign language I films. I usually try to see all
1: the ones that are you know kind of nominated for best picture, and I've just been so I've been so behind this, uh, you know, with with some projects that we're doing that I just haven't. Well, you have a lot to look forward. They're yes. really
0: good. And then the last one I to ask about was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, I did. Are you a Tarantino fan? I half the time. See, yeah, there's some of his movies that I just like, they do nothing for me. You know, I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was really good.
1: It's probably one of my favorite ones that he's done. And I loved it because, for so, you know, the first, and again, this is probably some degree of a spoiler, but, you know, the first three quarters of the movie doesn't. It didn't
0: feel as much like Tarantino. Yeah. Well, he, you know? he's known for explosive third acts, but yeah. it, I mean, he really slow rolled this one. It <laughs> he did, and <laughs> I,
1: and I loved it. I mean, I am a huge fan of Leo and and Brad yeah. Pitt. I mean, and it's hard Mario not Robbie to. Marla too. Yes, yeah. she was phenomenal in it. And so, you know, just seeing the three of those just those actors really just build the story with with relatively little action. You know, for so long throughout that film. Um, I did. I fully enjoyed it, and so uh, I, I, I keep meaning to watch it again. I've just seen it that initial time, but just, just loved every single aspect of it. And and I like, I like how Tarantino has a way of kind of creating his own history, you know. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I wish, I wish that was the true story, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Fully. Um, and uh, so it was, yeah. Just, just really, really talented movie. You know, some of his other stuff. I mean. Uh, you know Django I didn't get into you know quite as much you know um I really struggled with um inglorious bastards I just you know like um the, just the humor just didn't hit me at, at where I was looking for I like some of his older stuff a little bit you know a little bit more um I've actually been to his restaurant in Ukraine which was he a has phenomenal. a restaurant he's in got Ukraine. a restaurant in Ukraine yeah it's called Tarantino's and uh, so that's where you know kind of his family heritage was I was there with um with the actor Stephen Baldwin uh, about a year. little over a year ago and uh we were over there for a project and uh steven spoke at a huge event in in ukraine and uh and so at night we'd go over there and we must have ate there like three or four times (laughs) you know it was
0: awesome did is it so something that tarantino's been getting asked about uh this is going off the rails a little bit that he's been getting asked about more lately i don't know if you notice as like you know a film guy he's a big feet guy did you ever know this (laughs) i didn't know this he's so now you'll never be able to not see it when you watch one of his movies but I guess he usually has the same either, like, cinematographer or director yes, of photography yep. with him. And it's got to the point, like, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I didn't notice it because I didn't know it until yeah. afterwards. But then when you go back and watch, it's very obvious. And they ask him about it, and they pretty much just laugh. Yeah. They're like, yeah, that's a thing.
1: You know, <laughs> I mean, probably from – because, I mean, you think about stuff like even Pulp Fiction or – um uh reservoir dogs there's a lot of those moments where they're kind of walking and you mm-hmm. got that low shot you know on there so i can the he did the low that.
0: shots and he did like once upon a time in hollywood uh, brad pitt picks up girl at one point her, her feet are up in the window the whole time yes. margo yeah. robbie's watching herself on the move she has her feet popped up on uh, thing. interesting. yeah yeah interesting. so now yeah I, i'm sorry you'll never be able to not see that but <laughs> uh let's do um there was one last thing from the oscars i wanted to ask you the uh So I forget his name, but the director from Parasite won Best Director. Yeah, yeah, Korean director, yeah. And he, the quote he said that always kind of touched him that he took from Scorsese, um, it was, the most personal is the most creative. Mm -hmm. Is that something you agree with? I mean, I think something
1: has to hit us at that level for it to really be, you know, meaningful. I mean, you know, I don't know if I would say the most creative. Um, I mean, there's you could think of all sorts of visual abstract things that you can do with film and light and a camera. But I think the most, it doesn't become meaningful. You know, it might not feel creative or move us until it hits on that personal level. And so, you know, just having, I mean, a Marvel movie has every effect that you can Mm -hmm. think in it, but you know, what's moves us is when, you know, uh, um, when Tony Stark, you know, is laying there at the end, mm-hmm. you know, of Endgame, and and that's where the people are brought in. It's intimate because you think about your own mortality, you think about other people in your life, you know, and it brings you to that place. Now that, you know, that's an epic film. I don't know if I would call it the most creative, yeah. you know, cinematic <laughs> masterpiece, but but I think that you know that personal moment when stuff goes to that level, um, you know, that that's what that's what filmmaking is all about. You know, getting people to the place to where we can create you know, content that, that moves them, that impacts them, that, that touches their soul at some level that makes them leave the theater and, and want to be a better person, you know? And, uh, and that's, you know, there's certain projects I just don't get into or that we turn down because, you know, it, it just doesn't have any value in those areas. And so, um, you know, if film doesn't have to be a faith film or PG or something for us to want to do it, I'm willing to, you know, work on a lot of different projects and genres, But I want there to be a reason for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I want it to be something that's going to matter when we're done with it, that we're not just wasting our time for a paycheck for the next 30 days or something as we're shooting it.
0: And let's talk about on a day to day thing here. Yeah. Miles Media.
1: Miles Media, you know, this is, I mean, in this area, I think this is where a lot of people would would know me from. So Miles Media I really started as a feature film company. What I realized is that feature films take a long time from start to finish. And so we had time in between films to kind of start shooting content for businesses. And so, um, you know, we've really kind of developed a, a niche for ourselves within uh, sort of the manufacturing, um, you know, uh, um, industrial sort of space within South Bend and Elkhart, which obviously that's a lot of our major businesses here um you know typically the local you know flower shop or something on the corner probably is not gonna call us and 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 request a project just because we we try to do things right Mm -hmm. you know and we bring that hollywood you know sort of thing so where uh maybe um you know uh certain approaches to uh commercial video is they send one guy over there with a camera you know we're sending a van and Five or six guys over, you know, if it's the right kind of shoot. We're working on a, on a project right now, and I'll give a plug for um uh for one of our clients, the uh, Ivy Tech Foundation, and they've just been so so much fun to work with. We have a piece that's coming up that uh, we're filming for their their big gala that they do on on May first. If you haven't bought a ticket, there's still a few left, but they're going fast. Um and it, you know it's man it's it's just this beautiful emotional piece. We just shot it here the other day and. Uh, and it, it pushed us as filmmakers, you know, in making it. We wanted to just, you know, be able to bring something that was going to be unique. It was a three camera setup, and um, I think it's really going to be, you know, something special. But you know, we not, you know, sometimes we're just filming a robotics machine at a mm-hmm. at a factory, and you know, but to me, we still want to bring an artistic value to that. And so we work on a lot of campaigns. We do a lot of videos for websites. Uh, we do sales videos. We work on you know social media ads, uh, you know, uh, video content for those platforms. And so uh, you know we really are here to service companies with any of their kind of PR and video needs. Um, and so PR is a passion of mine too. You kind of in doing everything that I do, you have to learn how to, you know, um, interact well with the media. And, and uh, fortunately, we have some great news stations in this area that, that love highlighting local businesses and entrepreneurs and, and uh, um, you know, larger companies that are doing some really great work around the, the region. And so we partner with businesses in helping them tell their stories better and, uh, and get that word out.
0: One thing I also did want to mention to you, um, the word futurist. Yeah. So, so you are a futurist. You yeah. Like, you like to think about the future. Um, I, I think probably the first time I heard futurist attached to somebody, are you familiar with Kevin Kelly? Uh, Wired Magazine yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah so he's a big big time futurist yeah I guess we can start it with you were pretty early on predicting that Mayor Pete would be a front runner
1: yeah I, I think it was it was probably three or four years ago I mean it was before he ever announced in fact I mean I was saying it so early everybody laughed at me now you know just to just to you know be clear and you know I know that you're aware of this you know I'm not a I'm, I'm, you know, Mayor Pete, if he becomes the nominee, is not going to get my vote mm-hmm. uh, in this. You know, we've been, we've been very supportive of, of, um, you know, of, of Trump's campaign and policies and things like uh, his position on, on, uh, um, you know, the unborn and sanctity of life. And, and, you know, these things are, these things are meaningful me, to me as, as a pastor, as a, as a leader, as a business owner. But, um, you know, I think it's important to be in touch with culture. And, I am seeing, you know, I was it was funny. I was listening to uh, a clip of Pete actually early this morning. It was on um uh Brian Kilmeade show on 953 mm-hmm. and um his whole cadence has actually changed. You know, I I thought at for a split second I literally thought it was Obama because he was kind of having that sort of, you know, pauses and that little, you know, just that inflection mm-hmm. and everything. And so, you know, he's he is I think he's everything that the Democratic Party has been looking to sort of build and create, you know, the fact that uh, the fact that, you know, he's he's got military experience, um, you know, that he has that he has this diversity component because of his, uh, you know, his his sexuality, Um, you know, things like uh, the fact that he's young. You know, he's intelligent, he speaks multiple languages, you know, he's he checks a lot of boxes. Right. And, you know, my personal view is, uh, and I can be a little bit more vocal with this now that, you know, he's not in office. And obviously in, in South Bend, I run some risk of saying these things and, and frustrating people. But my, my personal opinion is, is that, you know, uh, although he doesn't appear as far left as say an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie, I still think that, um, I still think he's just as left, if not maybe more so and and does that Uh, but because he is intelligent because he's well-spoken it comes across a little bit more normal and so it's been a little bit more palatable for people um uh uh you know so i think that i think the democratic party actually some of the better people that they put out there you know unfortunately haven't made it you know uh as as far they've already dropped out you know of of the race i know i had a lot of friends that were really excited about andrew yang you know and some of these other guys that were coming up um uh, and, and, uh, but yeah, it's, I, I saw this coming, um, and, and I, you know, I wonder if I saw it even before him. I don't know, but I think that, um, uh, I think it's definitely something that's been in the works for a while. And, you know, I know that there are people at times coming and vetting him in South Bend and really seeing, you know, if they could get behind him or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so far he's, you know, he's done well and, and good for him. You know, I, I wish the best for everybody. You know, it's just not necessarily what I want for our country. Any other predictions? So, I mean, I think Trump is going to take this, but I think it's important for, and I have some friends kind of in the, you know, kind of in the the political world. We were just in D.C. this past week with the National uh, Prayer Breakfast, which is, you know, kind of a whole week of activities. And, and you know, both Trump and Pelosi spoke at this event. It's a bipartisan uh, uh, event. But, you know, it's my second time going to it. And, you know, I, I think that we're going to see, um, I think we're going to see another round of, you um, uh, impeachment inquiries, you know, that are going to come through uh, through the Democratic uh, th- or through the House, really, you know, bringing that up. So I think we're going to see a whole repeat of that. I think people are pretty tuned out at this point, and they mm-hmm. just, you know, it's not even going to matter for them a whole lot. I think Trump's going to win. Um, you know, is Pete going to be the front runner? Man, I think there's a chance still, and uh, I, I think a lot of people didn't even think he would go this far. I mean, I, I was still saying he was going to be the front runner when he just like finally announced, and people couldn't even pronounce his name, you know, and but, but I think he's going to do well. I think what's going to be interesting is four years from now. And, you know, um, because I think the momentum from Trump, unless there's just something major that comes out and, or, or that hurts him in some way, I don't see him losing that momentum that's there. The fact that you know he just had over a hundred thousand people come out in New Hampshire during a primary that didn't even really matter for him, you know, I think shows the kind of momentum that's in the country that's there. And the people that I know that's close to him and um, you know that that are around that circle, uh, you know, friends that have you know worked for him in the past, etc. You know, man, it's such a different picture than what you hear in the media and um it, it's 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 a really positive environment and even at the national prayer breakfast you know there's a couple sound bites that got pulled out it made it look like a whole different type of event than what it was being in the room that whole time i mean you know there was a real there was a humility he's acknowledging he's like look guys i'm working on this you know because there was a guest speaker talking about how to, you know loving people across the aisle from you and and how to walk in unity in these things and trump gets up and he's like i don't know if i agree with that you know and that's the only clip that got showed but it was a joke that then became Hey, I don't know if I agree with that, you know, because it's hard for me, but I'm trying. And he went into kind of this whole like moment of humility that the media never really picked up on, you know. And so um, it's going to be an interesting time. I just really am praying that it doesn't become you know, that it doesn't become violent, because I think it has the potential to as it gets closer and closer to the election. And I think there's gonna be more and more resistance, you know, to that happening. And so, you know, that's kind of my prayer for, you know, for this for this community, this country, and you know, we're really right in the heart of the conversation right now being here in South Bend. And this is a very, very charged area, you know, we got Amish on one side, we got, you know, we got uh, obviously a very large Catholic uh, you know, constituency here in the center. We got a lot of left-leaning uh, you know, individuals, we got right-leaning individuals. Um, you know, it's sort of all we have obviously m- multiple uh, minority groups in the area. There's a lot there's this is real, you know, kind of um microcosm of the whole nation that exists here in South Bend, which I think is awesome. You know, I love the diversity that we have here and uh, I hope that, you know, not only us as a, as a country, but I think also here, you know, locally that we can find ways to work together and really to, um, uh, you know, to, to keep remembering that, you know, we're people first and, and that, you know, just be thankful for the freedom that we have and the freedom that we can disagree about things and still work together.
0: Now, are your futurist predictions uh, pretty much all on the political side? No, Do you have I, anything uh, else you want to throw you know, out there?
1: You know, I um, I'm a big tech guy. I like I like seeing kind of where things are going. I think um, one thing that we're going to see more and more of is uh, a disruption in the healthcare industry. And, you know, we're starting to see it with um, some products actually in the, uh, you know, and I don't know if this is exciting for everybody, but actually in the the dermatological space, you know, so there's these ads where they've got these little suction things that'll suck stuff out of your pores. Well, there's also some new products that people can actually buy that will detect skin cancer at home Mm -hmm. through a little sensor. And there's a version of it that's being worked on that will actually treat that. At home through a self treatment. And so I think that all the money, and you know, this is happening in the church world too. So I think about it there too. There's been so much money in the past in infrastructure, buildings, brick and mortar, and people are starting to find ways around that in order to get their products out there, and more and more power is being handed to the consumer. And so, um, you know, are we ever going to get to the point where we lay in some pod and it scans our whole body and tells us everything that's wrong with us in our, in our home? I don't know. It'd be cool, um, you know, but I think that we're going to see more and more health treatments that get um, that the FDA clears, you know, for home usage. And I think that that health and tech component is going to be a very disruptive industry, you know, in the next five years. And, and I think it's going to force the healthcare industry to reevaluate how it's doing things and those giant, you know, charges and, you know, health insurance that nobody can afford, all that stuff is going to have to be revisited um, because the, the market is going to lessen the need for, you know, the, um, you know, not completely, but lessen the need for the expert or the specialist on some of the minor you know, ailments and treatments that are there. You know, if it's some surgical thing, obviously we still got to go to the hospital, but I think there's going to be some stuff in that middle tier that, that becomes less and less important. And we can start dealing with things at home.
0: Awesome. Before we get into the, uh, answer the internet round, uh, I'd like to finish up with this question, young filmmakers, um, basically just young in the media period, any advice you'd have for them?
1: Help somebody for a while. You know, I think that, um, uh, that business, the, the the film business, media business, probably more than anything, like just serving along some uh, side somebody, you know, whether that's a a paid position, intern, you know, volunteering for a while. I still do this myself. I'll have guys that are, you know, there's a new film coming out on uh, um, uh, Reagan. Um, uh, it's called Reagan with. Um, Uh, mark joseph is is the lead producer you know i've been reaching out to mark and saying hey mark i want to come on set for three days and just follow you around and learn Mm -hmm. you know and so uh this is going to be a big budget movie um and just an opportunity for me to just kind of you know sit in the shadows and and be quiet you know in the background and learn you know kind of how these guys are doing these things at this level because that's where i want to go that's that's some of the projects that we want to do down the road and and so i think finding those mentors working alongside of them is is really critical awesome
0: We'll wrap up quickly with some uh, answer the internet, some random questions. Okay. Uh, I'll start off with: Have you ever been stuck on an elevator?
1: Yes. How many times? I have. I have one great time. Um, oh man, the, hit me. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, in college at uh, Purdue, um, and I probably have to censor the story to some degree, but at Purdue, I, uh, um, we were on the elevator, and we would always. Pull the emergency stop and like jump while the Seems elevator's smart, going. Yeah. yeah, so the <laughs> elevator's going and you pull the emergency stop and you jump and you kind of fly up in the air a little higher. And so, um, oh, oh, my my uh, uh my buddy across the hall from me, he actually pulled it one time with a total stranger just to mess with him because that was kind of the personality. Oh. This guy, this other guy, was on his way to a final and the elevator totally stuck. And he ended up missing his final, and this guy just sitting there awkwardly with this guy until they got rescued. So that's that's a great story. But yeah, we, we did all, the, I'll spare you the details on this, but yeah, we, we got stuck in that elevator multiple, multiple times. Have you times. ever been
0: stuck without causing it? No. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. So let's do, um, I mean, are you ready for some, you know, kind of, yeah, questions? yeah, hit me. All right. Uh, if you if you trained your son, do you have any kids? No, I don't. Okay, so let's say you have a son tomorrow. Yep. If you trained him from birth until his twenty first birthday, and the only thing you trained him for was to beat a gorilla in a fist fight, do you think he'd be able to do it by twenty one? i don't think so <laughs> still 21 years of training still not gonna happen i don't know gorillas are really big
1: yeah. <laughs> they're really big i mean i guess you you know i don't i don't know where the gorilla weak spot is i think i'd have to do some homework hit them in the eyes i mean you'd, i don't you'd know have plenty of time to figure yeah, it out there's there's years. a lot of meat there you know so um uh we'd give it a good run <laughs> <laughs> do you have uh any
0: favorite movies or tv shows
1: um, you know, I I watch a lot of different types of shows. You mentioned Homeland earlier. I think that's brilliant. I, I love kind of that CIA sort of genre. I thought Jack Ryan, you know, is really strong. Um, you know, I also love, you know, I love uh, some sitcoms. I like Last Man Standing with Tim mm-hmm. Allen, and I, yeah, I know some of the casts. I've gotten to know some of them, so it's always fun, like, seeing them and rooting for them, you know, for sure. It's hard for me to watch TV sometimes and not see somebody that we've worked with or that mm-hmm. we know at some level. So I watch a lot of stuff to support you know, people that, that, you know, that we have friends in the business. Um, the, uh, man, Goodwill hunting. That was one I watched in the theaters like five times when it, you know, first came out. And, uh, uh, I, I think that that's still something that, you know, that that's one that stuck with me. Um, you know, uh, man, yeah, it's it's. I mean, Christmas vacation at the holidays is always a must. You know. um
0: Do you get to watch much of the newer stuff, or you don't? Some, you don't yeah. Some. Did you
1: see Ozark on Netflix? Yeah, I have. Did you I, like I, I watched the first two seasons. You know, I did. It, it started getting a little dark for me, and uh you know, I have I have a threshold where like I can go for a while. You know, <laughs> like once upon a time in Hollywood, like. If it would have been the whole movie of that, would have been too much. It would have been too much for me. But because it was, you know, kind of the way he peppered it in there, it Mm. was, it was very, you know, doable. I, I love, I love the new Lost in Space series Mm -hmm. on Netflix. I thought that was really, uh, really well done. Um, You know, the uh, every now and then we'll get a a documentary. You know, my wife and I like watching those together. and you know it's it, it's yeah so the, the genre is just all over the map you know so you'll still watch documentaries yeah. Even, yeah oh for sure for sure uh,
0: HBO just released one called McMillions have you heard of it no I haven't it's about how the uh, McDonald's monopoly game that you remember yeah. was rigged oh um, and it kinda, I kind of knew it yeah it kind of it dives <laughs> into that it, it's a wild story oh, I wow there are two episodes in but I'd listened to a podcast on it previously but the documentary's really good kind of talks to That's the cool. players so, yeah yeah definitely check recommend that out that. Um, who would win in a fight? 10, 10 year olds or a hundred, 100 year olds?
1: Oh man. I, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the 100 year olds. Crafty gonna, veterans. They they are <laughs> crafty veterans. They got walkers. They got canes. You know, they know how to drive. I, I think that they're going to take them.
0: Could you beat up Tom Cruise in a fight?
1: No, that dude, is <laughs> that was a, bad, a quick answer. That dude's a bad, you know what? I just watched the James Corden, um, uh, um, it was his carpool karaoke yeah. with Tom Cruise where they jump out of an airplane together. And that dude's energy level is like, he's legit. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I appreciate Bieber's enthusiasm, but I don't think I could take Tom Cruise.
0: <laughs> Did you see the photos on Twitter of, uh, the carpool karaoke being carried basically on a yeah, hitch wagon? Totally. And then Corden said there was only, you know, seven or eight that yeah. were the case. One thing that you might know that I don't know. So he said those seven or eight that they did, you know, hitch them up or whatever. Why for those seven or eight? Would it be a weather thing or?
1: Could have been a couple. I mean, first of all, if you got Stevie Wonder driving, you need to hitch yeah. it up, you know. So that would have been faked and, and did rigged. Like you know, from that maybe standpoint. bigger
0: names were rigged.
1: Yeah, and so you know they might. Um, so what? What that's called? It uh, typically called like a process trailer in our world. And, you know, you're able to rig cameras to it and then you can control those from the front car or from a follow car where they're viewing the monitor and wirelessly able to kind of focus and, and you know adjust the cameras as needed. Um, I heard that and I went, Of course. You know, like, I'm just assuming the whole season was filmed See, that's what I thought, too.
0: And maybe he did do a longer explanation I didn't see, but he, like, ran a scroll of names that he used the rig for, and I think it was eight or nine. He said, here's the ones where we were actually driving, and it was dozens. Right. So I didn't know the difference, like, why? you know,
1: it it might be that you need it for a certain shot, and so you might be using that trailer for part of the time, but then you also get the shot of them driving by with Mm. them in the car, you know, and so it would be a hybrid. You get a more controlled environment. You know, you get – you're able to – you know, kind of, you know, run your audio rigs differently. You're able to run your cameras differently. And, you know, I mean, I think I I wonder about a show the the show that I really enjoy um, Seinfeld's uh, um, uh, Comedians of Cars Mm -hmm. getting Coffee. Now, that never felt like process trailers to me. And so I'm curious to see because I feel like you can see kind of the cameras there, too, um, where, you know, I think that some accordance felt a little bit more, you know, produced. But I don't I don't care. It's still enjoyable. It's entertaining. Like I don't care who was driving or what that looked like.
0: I think I know your answer to this, but would you rather go 50 years into the future or the past?
1: Oh, definitely the future. Yeah, yeah. that's what I figured. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there's, I, I'll, look, I'll be honest. I love, uh, I I do enjoy certain aspects of history, and I think even more so as I've gotten older. I love um, old Hollywood history. I'm a huge Howard Hughes geek, and so uh, I've studied a lot of his work. Uh, I love the multifaceted nature to him. I was actually posted on my Instagram about kind of this multi hat thing that I, that I wear. And I, you know, this guy's a, he's a filmmaker. He's a, you know, he owned this oil, you know, uh, kind of well drilling business that he was licensing, you know, uh, aviator, you know, all this sort of stuff that he was doing. And so uh, I like reading about those stories and learning from those people, Tesla, you know, some of these guys, Mm -hmm. but I like them because they were all futurists. You know, and so if I could go back in the past and talk to one of those guys, yeah. maybe that's cool. But, yeah, i definitely curious in terms of where we're going. And the, the future is a little scary today. You know, it's it's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of unknowns in our world. But I, I, I'm I I'm, I'm cheering for, you know, humanity and, and just seeing, uh, uh, you know, hoping that we really have a resurgence even in this country of, of innovation and ideas. And and, and I, I really believe we're going to.
0: Do you think you'd adapt okay or do you end up like Brooks and Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I'd like to think I'm pretty
1: adaptable. Uh, I'm definitely kind of a routine guy, you know, but I think that I can adapt that routine. I always say I could live in a hotel, you know, like just the I love the, the yeah. you know the room service, having somebody come in and kind of you know make the bed and, and clean up and everything else. And doing yeah. It again, yeah, and so, um, but uh, you know, but I, I I'd like to think that I could adapt. And um, you know, my wife and I, Chrissy, are, are we're we're pretty uh, uh, we've 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 weathered a lot in life, and I'd like to think we have quite a bit of resiliency.
0: Have any favorite, whether it cinematographers, director of photographies, directors? How do, did you ever watch Breaking Bad? Uh, just a few episodes. That was a, that was again that was a little They're, push in the darkness on me. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely dark. Yeah. I thought their director of photography yeah. did a fantastic job. I mean, do you have any favorites? And even on the director yeah, side, yeah.
1: You know, I mean, and, and this is very pretty stereotypical or whatever, but I'm I'm actually going through Scorsese's masterclass right now, yeah. and um, which Scorsese. has just been a ton of fun. You know, um, you know, one of the movies that um that that I uh I watched here uh, fairly recently. Um, and I, I I mean I haven't even looked up who did it is um, the two popes on Netflix mm-hmm. have you seen that yet?
0: No but uh, I think Anthony Hopkins got a nomination highly for that, yeah.
1: they were both phenomenal in it highly worth it I mean just incredible story I mean nothing happens in the whole movie. And you're just on the edge of your seat the whole time i mean it's just like the acting was so good and it was so creative and just had such a beauty to it i mean they really did the 4k thing right in terms of how they shot it uh so that that's one that i that i really enjoyed here recently and um there was a movie that scorsese did about um uh the priests that were going into i believe japan
0: the adam driver movie yeah silence that was so James good. James Garfield, I yeah, think, yeah. also. It, it. Was, yeah. so that good. was so good. Yeah. And I,
1: I love the Scorsese kind of thing where he, he really masters those epic wide shots, you know, and you see the guy kind of walk along the beach and just mm-hmm. this giant wide. And there's such, a, there's such a, you know, temptation to push in closer, and he just keeps it out there. And, you know, that's something that I think about a lot when I'm filming, you know, uh, more cinematic things of like how to, because most of the time when you do a wide, it feels, it just feels distant. But the combination of the shot and the music and, you know, everything that's in there, it, he just has a way of bringing people in. And so, um, you know, I just love it.
0: Hey, you come in here and talk up Scorsese, you're going to leave with an extra gift bag. I love <laughs> all right. <that>. All right. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. Last one here. Would you rather be stuck in Jurassic Park or Jumanji? Oh, man, I th- I think Jumanji. Um, I think you'd have a better shot at survival I with think Jumanji. so and yeah. you know
1: what I get a lot that I look like Joe Jonas and okay. so I think
0: that uh, some of it would just come natural yeah I think
1: so I think we'd be friends you know uh, we might use the same hair product I don't know um, yeah no, man I, I I love the Jumanji and so that's an example of like I don't know as though that's a cinematic cinematic masterpiece but they were just they were great films mm-hmm. you know and Jurassic Park was obviously good too but you know I thought the second Jumanji was even better than the first one and uh, you know great you know the 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 these guys that. So the
0: second, one, you're saying like the first Kevin Hart Rock one better than the Robin Williams one?
1: No, I'm saying well that too, but I'm saying the second one of Kevin Hart and the Rock is. Oh, better I haven't seen that one. Oh, was yeah. it better? Yeah, I I, I yeah. really think it was. And you know uh they bring in Danny DeVito. They have a couple other characters that come into. Oh, Danny it. Glover's in it too. Yeah, Danny Glover's yeah, yeah. in it as well. And so and and it pushes the Rock and Kevin Hart and some of these guys. Uh, um. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Jack Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it pushes their acting because they kind of have to take on multiple personalities throughout the uh, the movie, and uh, it's it's just clever, you know. And so I, I like seeing those guys, actors that don't normally get to showcase, you know, their chops, be able to like dig deep and kind of pull some, you know, nice comedic acting out. And I thought I thought they did a nice job with it.
0: I did. lie. I have one more question just yeah. come to my head. What's your thoughts on M Night?
1: <sighs> Man, I. I, I I kept up a lot with some of the older stuff. I think that –
0: I mean, again, like – dude Did you see – I still haven't seen Glass. Um, did you I see saw, Split? Yeah. I saw Split, yeah. Um, man, he's – I thought he had a lull where he, he kind of struggled like over a decade. Here's the
1: thing that I see, and I would say the same thing about um, Will Smith on an acting side, is what happens is people start to get known for a style, and they start – Playing the character of themselves, doing the stereotype of what everybody expects them to do, and rather than it becoming, because I think a guy like Scorsese or, or Tarantino to some degree, that's just who they are. Mm-hmm. But I think that as some of this stuff starts getting to guys' heads, I think especially guys that are newer in the business, uh, there was a time with Will Smith where every movie Will Smith played Will Smith. Yep, and he wasn't know, taking chances at all anymore. Yes. either it was and just, so yeah. you you kind of stop seeing that that actor progress and. And I think now Will Smith is breaking out of that. I think we're, we're seeing more, you know, uh, him kind of coming back to something that's a little bit more natural for him, um, you know. And, and, and even, um, you know, even in uh, 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 the um, Margie film um, Suicide Squad, you mm-hmm. know, I think you saw still kind of Will Smith playing Will Smith to some yeah. degree. And, you know, so I always like when somebody can develop a style but then also totally throw you off by going in a way different direction mm-hmm. and remind you why they're there, you know, that this is – I think is, someone like you know, Leo
0: DiCaprio does a good job of that. 100%. Yeah.
1: 100%. You know, and I think that and, – and same with Shia LaBeouf. Mm-hmm. I think that that, yeah. you know, he's a guy that, you know, he can do the Transformers role and he can be good in that. And everybody just starts going like, oh, is that all he's got? Yeah. And then he comes out with some other, you know, project where you're going, oh, wow, this kid can really yeah. act.
0: Awesome. Well, before we wrap up uh, – Plug away.
1: Yeah. So, um, certainly if people haven't read Good God, uh, it's this is just a book. It's helped people through a lot of different, uh, uh, challenges in their life, um, and, and really rethink some of their spirituality, uh, rethink why bad things happen, help them through, uh, uh, maybe some of the difficult moments in life. Um, so I just got a call last night from a, um, from the or from the from the uh, the daughter of a of a major national name who read the book and wanted to reach out and talk to me about it, and it was just so honored That's to awesome. have that conversation. It was really cool. Um, the, uh, this new film, Penitent Thief, be watching for that, um, uh, you know, we'll have a, some sort of premiere in the area uh, here, kind of location still to be announced. Working on a couple other things, but I would say if business is out there, you're looking for, um, you know, really somebody that understands uh, the filmmaking process to be able to kind of uh, showcase uh, your product, whether it be in a, in a global market, in a manufacturing world, and who, who understands kind of all the components that goes into the sales you know process for that, or, uh, you know, you have a creative campaign that you're looking for somebody to execute, you you know that's stuff we love working on. Uh, and so check out, you can go to milesmediafilms.com and check that out. Also follow me on Instagram at, at Mr. Lucas Miles. It's Mr. Lucas Miles. Uh, and so I'm pretty active there, as well as my Facebook page. Um, I think my personal page is, is maxed out, but I have a, a public figure page, uh, which is at Mr. Lucas Miles as well, I believe. And so you can head over there and follow and kind of stay up on what we're working on. i got a couple big things we're getting ready to come out with. I can't awesome. talk about them yet. i got a new book coming, uh, which will hopefully drop this year. It goes a little bit more in faith and politics as well as kind of a new creative project that uh, I think is going to showcase really well in this community. So I'll keep you guys updated on that.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for the time. And get Gary's pillow, that, it, that pillow I mentioned. I, Gary will you, love the plug. You sold me on okay, that pillow. Okay, all right. Yeah. We'll yeah. put it in the show notes. Okay, yeah. he'll love it. All he'll right. Love it. First, First, it. it.
1: might seem like a lot, but they all play and they roll. with that on anything that I got and all I care about is my city, man. I can't say it enough. I done heard things about y'all that they can't say about us. I just hold it down from my side. I just hold it down.